Good morning. It's great to see you. If we've never met, my name is Jay, and I'm a part of the team here. Happy Father's Day, you guys. Man, what a day. So good. Yeah, we celebrate you, dads. Amazing, amazing. Um, some of you know a bit of my personal story, but uh, many of you, most of you don't. Um, and I just, you know, I'll, I'll just share sort of an, as an aside, but also as an encouragement to all of you, particularly those of you who are fathers here, young and old. Um, I am the son of a dad I did not know. And now I am the dad of two young children that I desperately long to know and have a long, long relationship with. And as such, when I was sort of in the season of, um, you know, trying to get pregnant, I wasn't trying to get pregnant. My wife <laughs> was trying to get pregnant and start a family. I was really nervous. Like I had no picture or visual imagery of what fatherhood looked like in a healthy way. And I just got to say, not as a pastor or a staff person or whatever, just as a young parent, I just have to say thank you to all the dads here at Westgate. Every Sunday when we're out in the courtyard and I see you, parents, young and old, leaning into your children, cheering them on, encouraging them, loving them, giving of yourself. As I hear story after story of dads in particular in our church who um, give so much to their children to make sure that their children have every opportunity to come to know, love, and follow Jesus, to provide a life of meaning and joy for them. I've learned so much from you. So just as a young father, thank you. And I celebrate you, uh, parents and dads today, especially young and old. You have filled a void in my life that I did not have growing up. You have become that. And it really is, for me, a beautiful picture of how the family of God can truly become family. So thank you, guys. Amazing stuff. I'm so proud of you. I'm inspired and challenged by you, and I celebrate you today. I also know that um, as the son of a dad that I lost, I did not know, but lost about eight years ago, I know that this day is a day of sadness and grieving and memory for many of us. And if that is you, I empathize with you. I too lost my dad again about eight years ago. And uh, also as the son of a mother, a single mother who often had to fill the role of dad in my life, if you are a single mom or a guardian of some sort watching over a young life trying to fill the role of dad, man, I know you feel like you're screwing it up you are doing the Lord's work. So well done, well done. Um, so all of you, man, so proud of you, so exciting. And you know, on Father's Day, for the last few years actually, whenever I think of Father's Day, there's one particular story that's been coming to mind for me. Um, if you guys remember back in November of 2018, about three hours north of here in Butte County in Paradise, California, the town of Paradise, you guys remember the wildfires that like completely devastated Butte County and Paradise in particular? Um, man, it was so tragic, but uh, I don't know if you saw this, but there was like this video, this little phone video at the time that went totally viral. And it was a phone video that a young father named Joe Allen took on his drive, literally as he and his family were evacuating the wildfires, he had his little three-year-old daughter, three, she was three at the time, her name was Olivia, and she was sitting in the back seat. And Joe Allen, this young dad 
is filming as he's like slowly driving through uh, um, all of the cars that are waiting to get out of the wildfires. And he has this interaction with this little girl and he filmed it on his phone. And um, the video went viral. And I want to show you the video. It's only about 30 seconds long. And you'll see in a moment why it went viral. This is like, this is the imagery I have when I think about Father's Day uh, these past few years. So here's a video of Joe Allen and his young daughter, Olivia. No, we're going to get out of here. We're not going to catch on fire, okay? We're going to stay away from it. And we'll be just fine. Okay? We're doing all right. Baby, it'll be all right. Look, we're past it. We're out of it, okay? Yay. Yay. We did it together. I don't know if you heard all the words, but at the very beginning of the video, three-year-old Olivia says, there's so much fire, we're going to get on fire. She's scared, understandably so. And then her dad, Joe, says to her, no, 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 we're not going to catch on fire. We're going to be all right. And then he sings the words, baby, it'll be all right. And then shortly after that, They finally drive out of the fires to safety. And what do you hear in three-year-old Olivia's voice? Joy. Yay! You did it. You did it, she says to her dad. And her dad says, we did it together. How is this possible? I mean, literally surrounded by destruction and devastation, surrounded by suffering and sorrow. You could see it visually in the video. They're literally pillars of fire all around them. And a young girl is scared, understandably so. And yet the love of this father gently guides this little girl In the midst of devastation and destruction, suffering and sorrow, the love of this father gently guides his daughter to a place of joy. Yay, you did it. We did it together. How's this possible? Last week, we started a brand new series on joy, resilient delight for weary days. And throughout this series, we um, are uh, Claire Russell, who is a college student, beloved part of the Westgate family. She's been doing these art pieces every single Sunday. And I want to show you the piece she created for today. This piece is called Relief and Rescue. And her description of the piece is this, that humanity is no stranger to pain. But God's steadfast promise and everlasting commitment meets us wherever we may be and pulls us out of our despair into his vibrant and exuberant kingdom. Um, she would tell you if she were here that these, uh, these, parallel, these lines that are dripping downward symbolize pain, suffering, and sorrow in our lives. And that these circle, the circle symbolizes us, human beings, and yet the colors somehow It's the way God can color even the moments of suffering and sorrow with joy. This is fitting for us because today as we continue our exploration of joy on this joyous day, Father's Day, we want to ask the question, is joy possible in the midst of suffering? Is joy possible in the midst of suffering? And this question matters because life involves suffering. 
If you have never suffered, you are either five years old or you have not lived much. Because life involves suffering. Suffering and sorrow are universal and undeniable parts of human experience. And yet, the writer, Henry Nouwen, he says this, that joy and sorrow are never separated. Joy is hidden in sorrow and sorrow in joy. If we try to avoid sorrow at all costs, we may never taste joy. Joy and sorrow are the parents of our spiritual growth. Again, how is this possible? Is it really possible that joy is possible in the midst of sorrow? A few thoughts. First, suffering is to be expected. Suffering is to be expected. Now, maybe you know that intellectually, but the reality of our embodied everyday lives um, don't reflect that truth. We live as though suffering and sorrow are a shock to the system, an unexpected intruder into a happy life. The working definition for joy in this series for us has been Dallas Willard's definition where he says, joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. Now I want us to focus first on that first line. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure. And yet, so many of us believe that life is supposed to be a series of passing sensations of pleasure. You and I live in what is called a hedonistic society. The word hedonistic comes from hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasure. In our late modern Western culture today, you and I, most of the people in our lives, have prioritized the pursuit of pleasure as the highest priority of life. And so when suffering and sorrow disrupt our pursuit of pleasure, we are often surprised. Sometimes Sometimes even shocked. Suffering is like it's an aberration, culturally speaking. It's not supposed to be here. And yet, what did Jesus himself say? John chapter 16, Jesus says, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice Jesus does not say, in this world, you might have trouble. Or in this world, you may have trouble if you're kind of naughty. No, that's not what he says. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Suffering is to be expected. Why is this the case? When we go back all the way to the beginning of the biblical story, in Gen we do this a lot here at Westgate. In Genesis 1, what do we see? A good God creates a good world, and in that good world, there is no suffering, there is no sorrow. And then just two chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, human beings, Adam and Eve, tempted and tricked by a serpent, God's enemy, they, they, they rebel against God's instructions, God's command for their flourishing and for his glory, and we have the entrance into the human story of something called sin, which is human rebellion against God and his plan for his glory and for our flourishing. And so when sin enters the picture in Genesis 3, suffering and sorrow enter the picture right away. 
We see this with the introduction of things like murder and death itself and toil and labor and pain and strife amongst human beings. When sin enters in Genesis 3, suffering and sorrow enter human experience. And you and I today live in the fallout of Genesis 3. This is why Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble or you maybe will have trouble. No, you will have trouble. Suffering is to be expected because we live in the fallout of sin. But it will not stay that way. More on that a little bit later. Here's the thing. Culture says pleasure is the norm, suffering is an aberration. That's what culture is trying to sell you. You should never suffer, no sorrow. In fact, for 1999, I can get rid of your suffering and sorrow. That is what culture is selling you. For 10 easy payments of 1999, usually, not just once, right? But Christianity says suffering is the norm. In this world, we will have trouble because we live in the fallout of sin, which has led to suffering and pain and sorrow. But joy is the answer. Joy is the answer to our suffering. The writer Tim Keller puts it this way, that while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. The world tells you, Suffering is an aberration. All you need to do is pursue joy um, that actually isn't real joy. It's just pleasure. Christianity tells us, no, we can sit in the midst of the troubles of this world that we know will come. But we do so knowing that there is a coming joy. And here's one of the reasons why there is joy not just after the suffering, but even in the midst of suffering. It's the fact that we do not suffer alone. If you are in a season or a period of suffering or sorrow in your life, here's what you need to know. Even if you feel alone, you do not suffer alone. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who does what? Who comforts us in all our troubles. Connect John 16 and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just connect the two. What do we know? In this world, you will have trouble, but there is a God who comforts you in all your trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but there is a God who comforts you in all your trouble. We do not suffer alone. This idea is strewn throughout the Bible. Isaiah chapter 66, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. My son didn't want to go into kids' church today. He's been loving it, but I, I, don't, I don't know why. And so my wife uh, was just sitting right back here with him, and she was just comforting him while we were singing just a few moments ago. As a mother comforts her child. Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. In this world you will have trouble, 
But God comforts us in all our trouble. He comforts us as a mother comforts a child. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so with confidence we can say, I will not be afraid. We do not suffer alone. Again, back to our working definition of joy. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but what? A pervasive sense of well-being. It is a pervasive sense of well-being, not after the suffering and sorrow, but even in the very midst of suffering and sorrow. Why? Because we do not suffer alone. Even if we feel alone, the God of all comfort is with you. He comforts you. He comforts you as a mother comforts a child. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your helper, so you need not be afraid. You do not suffer alone. And then here's sort of the strange paradox. As God comforts you, one of the ways in which he redeems your, your suffering and your sorrow is to give you comfort so that you might give that comfort to others. We do not only not suffer alone, we are also called to suffer with. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just read it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. But then Paul continues, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. One of the ways to discover, this sounds so backwards, you guys. I understand this is so strange. But those of you who've experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of the strangest, most paradoxically beautiful ways to experience meaning and purpose and joy in the midst of your pain is actually to receive the comfort of God in your pain and your sorrow and suffering and then to give that comfort away to others who are also suffering suffering and in sorrow. The um, 20th century uh, psychologist and Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, he says this, that suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning, such as the meaning of a sacrifice. Suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning, such as the meaning of a sacrifice. Henry Nouwen, again, he puts it this way. Joy is hidden in compassion. Not happiness, not excitement, not great satisfaction, but the quiet joy of being there for someone else and living in deep solidarity with our brothers and sisters in this human family. Often, this is a solidarity in weakness, in brokenness, in woundedness, but it leads us to the center of joy. Do you ever experience this? Where your life is hard, and things are not easy, and you're going through your own stuff. Then someone you care about, someone you love, begins to go through their own stuff. They begin to suffer. They begin to experience sorrow. And the Spirit of God moves in you, and rather than just um, spiraling into the vortex of self-centric despair, you choose to give out of your suffering 
to come to the aid and the comfort of the other, the person in your life who is also suffering. And then you go, and rather than just thinking about you and your pain, you take the comfort that you were receiving from God and you choose to give it to the person who is suffering. And as you do, what do you experience? Meaning. You begin to realize that your suffering is not meaningless. You begin to realize that your sorrow has a purpose. And as you come to the realization, the suffering and the sorrow ceases to be just meaningless suffering and sorrow. And instead, you begin to see a bigger, broader picture. And you taste in those moments, in the midst of your pain, these little glimmers of hope, little glimmers of purpose. And dare we say it, these little foretastes of joy. This is one of the reasons why, uh, we've been telling you about this a lot, it's one of the reasons why um, this coming weekend we're going to have our summer recharge conference. If you're not signed up, I would highly encourage you. This conference is not going to be like a rah-rah, come and just kind of put on a fake smile. It's called recharge because our invitation is for you to bring all of that stuff. Bring all of the weariness of this past year. And our hope and our belief is that we are going to discover, as we bring all of our weariness, we're going to discover a sort of joy in our collective weariness. As we suffer, not meaninglessly, but suffer with, and as we bring all of the hardships and all of the good stuff too, everything in between, that um, we are going to be recharged together. This is one of the beautiful things about community, is that it infuses even our suffering and our sorrow with meaning and purpose, which leads then often to joy. Back later in the service, you're going to hear a little bit about one of our ministry partners here in the Bay Area. We've got a couple of them uh, out in the um, lobby or out in the courtyard today, uh, Help One Child and then Foster the Bay. And um, the person who started, founded Foster the Bay is a friend of mine named Philip Pattison. I don't know if Philip is here today, but Philip's a good friend. And um, I actually, I had the, the privilege of speaking at one of their Foster the Bay events several years ago, and something like profound happened. Before I got up to speak, and he had asked me to come and speak about God's heart for the orphans and inspire all of these potential foster parents to really prayerfully consider jumping in and making a difference. Before I got up in sort of his introduction of me, he said this like little throwaway line that I have been thinking about for years. This is years ago he said this. Philip gets up to these people who are potentially going to enter into fostering and he says to them, if you say yes to God's invitation to become a foster family, here's what I need you to know. These are his words verbatim. He said, you are entering into pain. And I thought to myself, Philip, that's a horrible pitch. <laughs> like, you need to go back to school and take a marketing class. That's terrible. Like, what is wrong with you? But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that is so incredibly Christian. He continued, he, he told me actually later, he said, I asked him to, I asked him to explain what he meant. It's like, Philip, I bet that line has been rocking me for years. I need to know, like, what does that mean? Why, why do you say that? He said this to me, his words verbatim. 
He said, it's because foster care is not about getting a child into your family. It is about giving your family to a child. I just thought to myself, first I thought, wow, I am so insanely selfish. (laughs) Because that sounds so hard. And that's exactly how it should be. Because as you will hear in one of the stories a little bit later, and as some of you who are a part of the foster system, as you well know, it is in that suffering of giving your family to a child that you somehow paradoxically discover an intensity of meaning and joy in your life. As we suffer with, we begin to discover joy. But all of this sort of lands at the final point and maybe the most important point. The point is this. The joy of the Lord lasts forever, but suffering will end. The reason we can have joy, the reason followers of Jesus can have joy even in the midst of suffering is because while joy is forever, suffering is temporary. We read at the end of the biblical story, literally in the final pages of the scriptures, as this man, John, is writing from this island, he has a vision of where God is taking the human story. It's a part of the human story that not even you and I have yet to experience, but it is our future hope. We call this vision the Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And in the book of Revelation, near the end, John has this vision of, again, where God is taking the human story. And I want to read this for you. And every time I read this to people, I say the same old line, but it's so important. You do not have to be a Christian to resonate with what I am about to read. You just need to be human. Listen, this is where God is taking the story. Revelation 21, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne is saying, I am making everything New, no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Every tear wiped from every eye. Again, you do not need to be religious. You don't need to be Christian. You don't need to be anything spiritual to resonate with that vision. Whether you believe that Jesus actually died and rose again and ascended to heaven, or you think it's just a hoax. Whether you believe there is an actual God who loves us and is writing the human story in a particular way, or you think that is just childish fantasy. What we can all agree on is this. Whether it is possible or not, whether it is true or not, deep in your body and bones, as a human being, what you want to be true is a day that will come when there is no more or death, or mourning, or pain, or sorrow, or suffering, where every tear is wiped from every eye. And you don't have to believe it's true, but just admit this, you want it to be true, do you not? 
That's the promise of Scripture. You don't have to believe it. That is what you, you, in this room, watching online, you are surrounded by men and women right now who believe it. And because we believe it, there is not any suffering or sorrow or pain on this side of eternity that can kill with finality the joy that is possible in us. Because that joy is forever. The suffering will end. This is why, again, our working definition of joy. Joy is not a passing sensation of pleasure, but a pervasive sense of well-being that is infused with hope because of the goodness of God. Joy is infused with hope because a good God is taking the story to good places. I want to show you a picture of uh, dear friends of mine. <clears throat> this is Chris and Jess Hall. Chris and Jessica Hall. When I met Chris and Jess about five years ago, Jess had just recently been diagnosed um, with an extremely aggressive form of cancer. This is five years ago. And the doctors told her, Jess, you do not have much time. I mean, they weren't talking a matter of years. They were talking a matter of months, maybe even weeks. Jess and Chris are faithful followers of Jesus. And Jess, in fact, has gone through quite a bit in her life. She's lost um, some siblings, tragically, uh, to some accidents. I mean, just like all, this wasn't the first time that she was suffering from um, cancer, a can cancer diagnosis. I mean, Jess has been through a lot. But you could see, let me just, let's put that picture back up. You can see the joy on her face. If you knew Jess, if you know Jess, what you know is like, this is what Jess looks like all the time. Just exuberant joy. And rather than just weeks or months, Jess continued to fight the cancer and she continued to live on until Easter of this year, just a couple of months ago, Easter of 2021, her body was finally breaking down so much that she couldn't make it to church. So she held like a little Easter service in her front yard for family and friends and she was posting about it online. And then a few days after her at-home Easter service on Facebook, she wrote this on her Facebook page. We know you are able, Lord. We know you are willing. I have seen your miracles. Watching my body try so hard to heal, but instead it keeps showing more signs of decay and sickness. I don't have words to equate that kind of sadness and grief. Jesus, have mercy on my children. She had two um, young children. Jesus, have mercy on those that love me most. I need to hand it over what is not mine to heal. Sickness cannot be owned, only surrendered. Each prayer lessens the load. Thank you for that. The nurse prays to Jesus. She sees my strength as a miracle. She sees God's mighty power in me, and I pray that someday soon I can see it too. Still trying, still praying. What else can I do? And all that really matters is achieving hope, achieving joy, pursuing the Prince of Peace, loving my family with the precious time left. 
We think we have so much time, and yet at any moment we could find ourselves in glorious heaven. We know you are able. We know you are willing, Lord. So I say yes. I say yes to your power. I say yes to your love. I say yes to your timing. I say yes to your joy. Jesus, thank you for your mercies. They are new every minute, every day, every morning. Ten days later, on April 29th, at 8.30 p.m., Jess passed away, went to be with Jesus. And her husband, Chris, posted on her Facebook page a very simple um, line. He said, Jess is with the Lord now. And though we grieve, we grieve with joy. We grieve with joy because suffering ended for Jess. But joy continues. Suffering is to be expected in this life. But you do not suffer alone. And in your suffering, you have the ability to give the comfort of God you receive to those who are suffering alongside you. In the midst of that, discover a joy, a joy that will never end, even as the suffering ends. This is how joy is possible in the midst of suffering, sorrow, and pain. So whatever it is you are going through, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, you are not alone. The God of all comfort is with you. And that suffering, that pain, that sorrow, I know it feels like it will last forever. I promise you it will end. But the joy of the Lord that you can experience now is forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we stand before you with all of our stories, all of our various struggles, and pains and hurts, anxieties and fears. Many of us stand before you mourning loss, grieving the brokenness of hopes, dreams, relationships. Some of us are here and we're actually full of joy, full of vigor and exuberance in life. It's one of the really powerful things about being part of a family, being a part of the church, is that we gather to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And so, Jesus, we ask that for those of us who are suffering, those of us who are experiencing immense sorrow and pain and grief and loss, we pray that we as a church family would come alongside and suffer with, and in doing so, remind one another that we do not suffer alone, that you are with us in our pain and our sorrow, and that while all of those things will end, the joy you give us is forever. So we lean into the eternal reality of the joy you give. 
And even in our pain, we, we lift you up, Jesus, the source of our joy. We worship you. We magnify you. We ask that in the midst of our pain, that you and your name would be made great, that our pain would be a testimony of the hope we have in you. We love you. We thank you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.